in TV Guide one time, you gave a quote, and you said, I'm terrified of everybody all the time. Oh, yeah. Are you really? Oh, yeah. See, I, I really have experienced that I am absolutely terrified of everything and everyone at all times. That, that you, for example, will hurt me, hurt my feelings, attack me. Uh, so for that fact, I learned karate, you know, uh, in the early 70s to, to ward off you if you start to scratch me or something. I know how to do that. I learned that out of fear. Uh, I learned how to be funny out of fear. Um, and all of that, like fear of somebody hurting me and stuff like that. But what the joke is, what the cosmic joke is, is that I know that everyone is terrified of me too. And everyone is, all of us, come on, let's all admit it. We're all scared. Yeah, they all admit it. We're all a little scared. You know, we're all going through life uh, over, over our left shoulder, as Carlos Castaneda says, you know, the, 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 the specter of death is always ready to go like this. So we're all afraid to die. And I mean, in, in, in the bigger sense, we're, we're all a little, a little afraid when we get up in the morning if we're going to make it. But we mask that with our armor and, and our stuff like that. Well, I just come right out and say, hey, I got nothing to hide, man. I'm scared to die. I'm scared to live, you know. And, but all of that aside, it's, it can be a ball. And you can have love and have friends and have, you know, have meaning to your life. But underneath it, there's a little guy going, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bombed at the theater or maybe the critics just didn't like. Brad, back in the 90s again. We are. This is crazy. What, what, now, this is your pick. It's an odd number. And uh, you picked one that, quite honestly, I forgot about. Totally forgot about. But what are we oh, talking okay. about tonight? Yeah, so up for episode 152, or for 151, I'm sorry, 151, I selected 1992's fantasy comedy directed by peter hyams uh stay tuned okay i just real quick why I, i'm i'm curious it was a staple of my childhood i saw this on hbo it felt like every day okay i figured Th- to me you were too young to see this in the theater right yeah okay i i assume well, i could have seen this in the theater 92 i would have been nine years old Okay. All right. Well, this is uh, one that I thought would be great to bring back a guest on since it has to deal with TV and all things pop culture. We got to bring, you know, back the king of pop culture, also known as Mr. Korean cool himself. So John, welcome back, man. It's been too hey. long. Yeah, it's been a while. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are great. How are you? That's the, that's the bigger question. I'm better I'm, with you, John. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm fine, but not dandy. Dandy, but not fine. Oh, to borrow okay. from George Carlin. But yeah, it's awesome to be back with you guys. All right. Well, I, question goes to you as well. So you're you're in my age bracket. So we we would have gone to the theater a lot about this time, and I I did see this in the theater. I, I just I don't think I've watched it since the theater, to be quite honest. But was this a first time watch for you on this one, or did did you know about this thing and and it's in your wheelhouse of like, hey, that's that's an older film I like to revisit every once in a while. 
No, I, I'm with you. I, I completely forgot about it. Uh, this was one I had not seen in the theaters. Um, I'm I'm in the Brad camp. Um, it, this was an HBO movie, and uh, I just remembered why I loved it and can't understand why I forgot about it. So I, I'll full, put our cards on the table on this one. The, the coolest thing about the podcast is to go back and rediscover these films that just fell through the crack. And we'll get into the details on this, but I feel like this kind of movie, I don't know what you think, Brad, this kind of movie is exactly in our wheelhouse for this type of podcast. Yeah, I, I think so. It's like a director who's, when you say Peter Hyams, not everyone initially knows who that is, um, but it also has like John Ritter, who was pretty big at the time, um, a modest budget and a concept that's like easy to pitch on an elevator, right? Like people get sucked into their TV and that's basically it. And it feels like you either know this movie or you don't. Yeah. I I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, not a lot of people knew about John Ritter around this time period. They may have known him in the eighties and he was still working in the nineties, but we'll get into this. Um, when we talk about why we think this failed, the reason why I think this is kind of that perfect film for us, kind of like Stone Cold or stuff that came out around that time period. It is composed of a lot of people that are just under the radar in pop culture at that time period, or they're workmen's that are putting a lot of stuff out that you don't recognize their name, but you may recognize their product. Because when I think about John Ritter, and again, I'm, I'm a kid of the eighties. I always go back to his work in the eighties and there are a couple of things I remember him from the nineties, but, um, th this wasn't one of them <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Okay. But that, I mean, that's my take on it. What's your take, John? Uh, I, I tend to agree. Um, I, I think John Ritter, he has, you know, uh, he has a library of work that he's, he's been behind. I think a lot of times what kind of makes, I, my theory is why I kind of forgot about this is because, this was the same John Ritter I've seen in a lot of his other stuff, right? It was the same character. It wasn't really until his later stuff that he kind of like broke out of his, 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 I would call it, you know, stereotype, you know, acting. Um, but at the same time too, um, yeah, the nineties, there was just a lot going on movie wise and stuff like that. This one was kind of, you know, easy to slip past a lot of people. Okay. Well, let's talk about when it hit the theaters. So Brad always takes us back in the time machine to let us know how it performed theatrically. Cause obviously we're talking about movies that bomb. So Brad, I'm, I'm assuming it didn't do so hot at the box office. Is that right? That would be a correct assumption, Troy. So released August 14th of 1992. So on the tail end of your summer blockbuster season with a reported budget of upwards of $20 million. So we'll use that $20 million as the budget and the film grosses $10.7 million total. Ouch. That's in, that's um, basically in about a two week span. It's not in the theater very long um, out of the theater on August 23rd is it's last weekend. Ooh, no Benny. Yeah. Um, so that opening weekend, it comes in sixth place. It makes three, Point five three million dollars, and it gets beat by films such as Unforgiven, which is a fantastic film. Oh, Single yeah. White Female, another fantastic film. Death Becomes Her, I think is a fantastic film. 
three ninjas. Uh, maybe not fantastic, but it's got you ninjas know. in it though. So it does. Yeah. It does. Uh, I believe it has the rhyme. Rocky loves Emily. Um, I believe is something I remember hearing a lot. Um, a league of their own, and then stay tuned. Oh wow, that's so some competition, big, man. Yeah, I mean, then there's raising Kane. Honey, I blew up the kids. Sister Act and Mo Money round out the top ten. Again, we go back and look at the '90s stuff that comes out, and we're looking at August. We're like, wow, this weekend is just stacked. Like, I would have loved to have seen Unforgiven at, at this time, and Single White Female, and Death Becomes Her, League of Their Own, even Sister Act. Like all those. Um, <clears throat> so not only does Stay Tuned bomb at the box office. Critically, it sits at a 47% with the critics. That's with 17 reviews. So if my math is right, that's like eight positive, nine negative reviews. And it sits at a 55% with the audience. That's with plus 5,000. A lot of times, Troy, when we do this, I'll look at the audience number of ratings. And it'll be like 100,000, 250,000. This is one of the lower ones we've done because it's only around 5,000. Oh, yeah. So I got to be honest. I was was surprised it was on Blu-ray. I thought this would be one of those that was on DVD or we'd have to go find a VHS copy. Yeah, yeah. But but your theory of like this sliding through the cracks might hold up because it doesn't look like it's very popular. um, Okay. At least with the Rotten Tomatoes crowd. And films that were released August of 1992. We have the aforementioned Three Ninjas, Unforgiven, Whispers in the Dark, Digstown, Single White Female. Digstown. Can can we digress for a minute? Digstown's fantastic. It's one of the best sports movies out there. (laughs) It's something that we're going to talk about. We have to. We'll have to. We'll have to. Um, And a film that we've mentioned I don't know, a hundred times. So this will be a hundred and one rapid fire <gasps> Brandon with Brandon Lee. Lee. Yes. One yeah. of the best movies, one of the best action movies of all time. Um, and then we have things like pet cemetery Two, honeymoon in Vegas and twin peaks fire walk with me. Oh man. That's, that's some good movie going in my opinion. Yeah. For just a random August in 1992. Of course it is. Yeah, I, I, I'm an old man yelling at the clouds. Why can't it be like that anymore? But <laughs> I guess with all the streaming and content stuff like that, and it's kind of like that. It's just not in the theaters. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about some of the people who were involved in the making of this? Let's start. Okay. I guess we have to start with the director, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we in the past, we just went through the IMD credits and we talked about writing. I, I think what Brad and I have kind of tried to focus on was – you can get all that information from IMDb, Wikipedia, the back of the Blu-ray, whatever. We we wanted to focus some of the concentration on some of the names that pop from those credits that we think don't get enough attention or might, you know, cause a little bit more of an interesting conversation. So this is one of those where you have a couple of people who wrote the screenplay and, you know, three people attributed, I think, for story by but the interesting person behind the scenes that I really wanted to focus on was Peter Himes. So this is a guy, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and before I turn it over to you guys for your thoughts, I'm just going to put it out there. Um, Peter Himes is one of the best directors of the 80s and 90s that nobody really talks about, I don't think. 1,000% agree. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so it, I'll start with you, John. I, if you look at his filmography – 
Are, is there anything that stands out from that filmography or what's your general thoughts on this director? Um, so I'll be blunt. Um, he's one of those that I have forgotten about. So you're catching me a little bit off guard here. So I'm going to say, dude, you didn't do your plan. homework. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, I will say, okay. So I'll pick up where, where, where John dropped the ball here. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> R- running scared. 2010, um, are kind of my state. Well, Capricorn one, I think was the first time I, I heard of Mr. Hyams. Um, Outland is another one I think is really good, but then my, my stretch for him goes from 90 to 99. So essentially the nineties for me, uh, narrow margin, stay tuned time cop and then sudden death, which connect those dots. What a one, two punch, man. Yeah. But like you go from stay tuned to time cop and then you follow it up with sudden death, then the relic, then end of days. That's my, that's my, if I'm going to do Peter Hyams, like that nine year stretch is what I look to the most. Yeah. For, okay. for, for me, the movie where I started noticing him was 1981's Outland with Sean Connery, mm-hmm. which, which is basically high noon in space, right? It, it's an amazing science fiction, Western, more or less action film. Yep. It's, it's flat out fantastic. And then and when you say it's high noon in space, it's literally high noon. In space. It literally <laughs> is high noon in space. Yeah. yeah. Now he does this Michael Douglas thriller after that star chamber, which is pretty good. He does a sequel, which has got to be intimidating to 2001 called 2010. Now this is the film. The reason why that one's important is this is the film where he started to do his own camera work. So when you look at the DOP credits, you'll start to see his name on everything that he directs from here on out. Right. And I believe he does a lot of his own producing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then another highlight of the eighties, in my opinion is running scared from 1986. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm going to say something kind of blasphemous at this point. So when we're talking about the eighties and we're talking about the buddy comedy, uh, action genre, right? So, I, I know a lot of people will go right to Beverly Hills, but I'm going to be, I'm going to say something that's just probably controversial. I probably would take running scared over Beverly Hills in terms of rewatchability. I love Beverly Hills. Don't be wrong, but running scared for me had a little bit more of the <laughs> Chicago grittiness versus the Beverly Hills, you know, stuff. And, and I thought there was more action. There was better action set pieces. I think Beverly Hills Comet er, Beverly Hills Cop is more of a comedy. Running Scared is a little bit more on the action side of things, and and that's probably why I, I like watching that one more so than Beverly Hills Cop. But you can't you can't do wrong by either of them. No, and I would uh, I would take that one step further and then say I think Midnight Run is better than both of those. So there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would kind of agree with you um, yeah. to a certain degree, but I I just really love you know Running Scared. The, the Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines relationship is fantastic. Yep. Yeah. It's he, good chemistry in that movie. It, yeah. it is hundred percent. He does the Presidio in 88, which some people dump on. I don't know if I've seen the Presidio. It's Sean Connery, Mark Harmon, early Meg Ryan. It's okay. It's a passable thriller. It's not his best. Uh, then another one that I champion over and over and over again is narrow margin from 1990 with Gene Hackman which I think is a fantastic thriller. Just it, yeah, that, great neo-noir. Yeah. I think we'll yeah. talk about that one too. Cause I think it bombed. Then he does stay tuned. And then you've already mentioned it. Time cop, sun, death, relic, end of days. Uh, enemies closer in 2013, which I think is one of his later um, directorial efforts with Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually really good too. But if we're, if we're talking about the pinnacle, like if you're going, man, you, you don't know who Peter Himes is. 
All right, here are the movies you need to check out. For me, it's Outland, Running Scared, Narrow Margin, Time Cop, and The Relic. The Relic, I, I don't think it's enough love either. Oh, I love The Relic. Yeah. 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 All right, John, are you ready to participate now? Yes. 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 Okay. Any Peter Himes favorites? <laughs> uh, so you mentioned it. I mean, for me, and it, it kind of segues a little bit later on um, in this in this episode, but I, I, was, I, I actually dug Presidio quite a bit. Um, Outlander was definitely one of those movies that I didn't catch in the theaters, but when I saw it first on HBO, I was like, holy cow, this was freaking awesome. Um, definitely time cop was one of those that, you know, had to go see in the theaters because of Jean-Claude, uh, one of the other ones, end of days, I thought was pretty good. It's okay. I, I, all I remember from end of days, honestly, is get to the ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They're not getting to the chopper. They're getting to the ambulance. Get to the ambulance. (laughs) You know, my, my best part, Jer- was, you know, Jericho Kane. Yeah. Just one of the best action movie names of all time. And and I'll say yeah. that I'll say this about the procedure. It, it does have this one sequence with Sean Connery when, uh, and John, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he beat up like a bunch of people in the bar with just his thumb? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty yeah. badass. And, and lastly, but not least because of one, it was one of my all time favorite TV shows, uh, that ever aired. Uh, he actually directed an episode. I think it was, uh, season first season they only had two seasons right but yeah uh, amazing stories he did a he did an episode on that oh that, that do you remember run. which one i'll have to look it back up um but yeah it was in the first season i believe early on but that was that was a great tv series okay and and well, i'll be go ahead Brad. well i was just gonna say <laughs> the man had to make a sequel to what some people considered the greatest piece of cinema ever made oh 2001? 2001 yeah yeah. <laughs> he had to make a sequel to that and it doesn't get enough love because it's not 2001 nothing will ever be but 2010's not bad and i think he did a serviceable job he's not stanley kubrick and that is a herculean task to even attempt to make a, a sequel to again what some people consider the greatest piece of cinema ever put on screen uh yes uh, it <laughs> I, what I really appreciate about 2010 is you can go to 2001 and it can be daunting in terms of its visuals and storytelling because it's really putting the pressure on the audience, especially at the back end for you to figure out what's going on, the whole star child thing, et cetera. And I think for the common moviegoer, it tests your patience, right? Especially in, in, for today's viewers, but 2010 I I agree with you. It doesn't get enough love because he just goes in there, takes the story where it ends in 2001 and tries to not just explain things and kind of go, well, this is why this happened. Hal was given this program. And so therefore, but he really tries to advance the story and and kind of bring some of those characters to a final conclusion uh, and resolution. Right. And I, I, Mm -hmm. man, that, He's not going to be Kubrick because he's not going to go for, I would say, the artistic visual representation of storytelling. I, I think Peter Himes has always been good about telling a good story and making sure that you aren't that you're along for the ride with the characters, if that makes sense, right? That you, he spends time doing character development, even in some of the most shallow plot lines that he's been given. Yeah, I mean, he made a little bit more of a popcorn film than Kubrick did. Not a little bit more. A he lot did, more. but but yeah. he didn't totally check out, you know, and say, no. 
uh, we're not we're not doing characters. It's just we're doing spaceships, and we're going to explain two thousand one. The, the Roy Schreider character. I mean, uh, there's a lot of human elements that he always brings to it, so that he makes it relatable for the audience. Mm-hmm. No, I, I just I, I just think that is has to be one of the most difficult things to ever have to do. Is hey. Let's make a sequel to 2001, and you're going to be the director. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember loving it in the theater. Mm. I, I, what's crazy is I've seen just about all of his films from the 80s and 90s in the movies, and wasn't like looking for Peter Himes' film. But every time I went back and rented something, and I'm like, man, this director keeps popping up on all these films that I really like. Uh, and He's it a, I think what I would say about Office is there's like a, and I hate to use this, but there's a fun factor to everything that he does. Yes, yeah. and it's not. You know, it's not him dumbing things down and, and making like we're going to make this for the mass audience. It's just they are good movie ass movies. You know what I mean? Like they're movie movie ass movies. Yeah. This is a good movie <laughs> yep. ass movie. That should be on yep. a box art somewhere. Yep. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- let's get to the people in front of the camera because I, I think we've got some other people to talk about. We, we got into it a little bit, but let's let's do a, a bit more of a deep dive on the main star, uh, which is John Ritter. So he is the son of a famous singing cowboy called Tex Ritter. He had been acting since 1968, and I think most people recognize him from a show that ran from 1976 to 1984, Three's Company where he played the the iconic character Jack Tripper, which, in fact, he won a Primetime Emmy Award and Golden Globe for that character in 1984. Now, he's, he's one of these guys that um, I think his bread and butter has always been in television, but he has jumped into a lot of theatrical releases. And when you look at his filmography, especially early on, there, there's, there's some movies in the 80s that I quite enjoy that he's in, and the first one being Hero at Large from 1980. Oh, yes. <laughs> so this is another one that I don't think it's talked about enough. But the whole premise is John Ritter's like this struggling actor. And uh, he's in this really silly superhero costume. Happens to go into, I think it's a convenience store or something. It's getting robbed. And he thwarts the robbery. And everybody thinks he's like this new vigilante superhero. So he's like, you know what? I'll, I'll try that out for a little bit. Um, and it's kind of like a what a vigilante comedy. Have you seen this film, Brad? I have not. Uh, I know you have, John. This this is another oh, yeah. one of those early oh, yeah. HBO staples, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was definitely one of those, you know, um, wrong man in the wrong place and definitely at the wrong time. But, you know, he takes off with it. It, it was it was good. Yeah. And he, I mean, he, he brings kind of that slapstick um, element that he's doing in Three's Company over to it. And then you get another one that jumps out that uh, I remember from the 80s, which was Real Men. With, uh, what was it, Jim Belushi? Jim, uh, James Belushi. James, James Belushi. Belushi, okay. Uh, it's it's not like the greatest comedy you're ever going to see, but I actually like the dynamic between those two characters where um, John Ritter basically, I, I think he thinks he's a spy or is trying to be a CIA spy. CIA agent, yeah. yeah. Yeah, something of that nature. And then uh, you get Skin Deep in 1989 with yes. a uh, Blake Edwards as director. Yes. which has probably the best condom joke in cinema history <laughs> yes. ever. I'll just, yeah. Brad, have you seen skin deep? I have. I don't know what the condom joke is. I don't remember the, uh, oh. the glow in the dark condom. Oh, okay. Where they're running around the hotel. Yeah. But see, I think, I think the full body condom joke in naked gun is better than that. 
Really? Then glow yeah, in the dark condoms? I'm, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Because you get that one punchline when he gets arrested for having a cockfight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then in 1990, I, so I got to ask you guys of this next one. Problem Child. There's like three Problem Child movies, right? The first one was kind of a big hit. Um, John, Problem Child fan? First one, yes. Two and three, no. No, no. I thought I thought it was it, it had something, but they they squeezed that cow's teeth a little too hard when they tried to milk it out. Okay. That's <laughs> a good analogy. <laughs> all right, all right, Brad, problem child fan. Uh yeah, the first one for sure. The second one, my neighbor had those first two on VHS, and I know that we watch them all the time. So I don't know <clears throat> if I could even tell them apart. Obviously, I think you can because like the timeline's a little bit different, but um I've seen those first two countless times. So I I think they're fine. I, I haven't gone back to them in quite a while, so I, I doubt they hold up. Um yeah, if you were if you if I was a betting man, I would say problem child probably doesn't hold up too great. I didn't like it when it came out. I it really got I on my nerves. It. Really got that, on my yeah. nerves. And shitheel kid in it. Yeah. Yeah. I and <laughs> watching it now really gets on my I mean, I'll be What was the honest. last time you watched it? Did you have you watched it recently? I watched it a few years ago. I I mean, this is one of those where people will come up and, and talk about the problem child, right? Oh, that movie's so funny, so stupid. It's so stupid, it's so funny. Problem child for me is, is, a, I don't know. It's about three scenes away from the pest in terms of, of quality. Oh. It, it's that bad in my opinion. <laughs> oh my and I God. love John Ritter. I try to love that film. That damn kid gets on my nerves so much. He's, he's like a mini white version of John Leguizamo. And, yeah. uh, that, that might be why I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on uh, through John I mean, Ritter's. sadly, Dennis Dugan's like filmography after that doesn't get a whole lot better. He's not a good director. He's no, not. He's no. quite terrible. He, he has his flashes, but that's about it, right? <laughs> Nothing really shines. It's just, it's like uh, Happy just, Gilmore. I say flashes or flushes? Did you say yeah, flushes? flushes? More flushes. Mostly yes. more flushes. Yeah. yeah yes. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, for John Ritter, you have to like I said, he, he's done a lot. But I, honestly, I can't I can't believe you forgot. I thought was one of his best roles that he ever took on and totally out of his repertoire was when he played Vaughn in sling blade sling blade. Yeah. 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 So that, that's a good point. Um, so he does stuff around this time period, like noises off, which I, is another underrated comedy. I think we'll tackle, but sling blade, my goodness, he, sh he shows up in that and he's fantastic. Stretches yes. his legs, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he stretched it, his legs a little bit, even in that uh, TV miniseries adaption of It. I think he's really good in that one, too. Oh, that's right, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I forgot about that. Yeah, yes. the, the guy yes. can bring the dramatic element to a performance and not just do like the Jack Tripper retread. Um, if you look at It, and that's, that's a great point, John Slingblade, I mean, he's got some acting chops. He always has. He does. He does. He really does. I, I, I will have to say, when it comes to John Ritter, I just remember being like a five or six-year-old kid, and I'm sitting down to watch TV. I turn on the TV, and I hear, come on, knock on our door. And it's just like, <laughs> click. I'm like, nope. Nope. You weren't a Three's Company six, fan? Six-year-old Brad did not care about a man living with two women. Seriously? Uh, 
No. Oh, in the eighties, that's all we wanted to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to. Yeah, that's how. You, that's what so you thought ever, adulting was like. Hey, you get an apartment with like two hot chicks. Yeah. Did they ever like get into like a like a threesome? I don't know. There was a spinoff to that show, wasn't there? Because uh, the he won the enemy in '84, mm, and then the Ropers, and then God. Yeah, I forgot what that one was called. Yeah. <laughs> What's it funny is, uh, and I, this is the sad part when you talk about John Ritter. So he had 143 acting credits, and you're like, man, that's that's a career. But he passed at the age of 54 in 2003 due to a aortic dissection. So they went in and thought he was having a heart attack and it ended up much, you know, being much worse. And then he passed at the hospital, but, but to have that many acting credits at 54, uh, I, I would assume that if he was in good health and, you know, he's still alive today, that number would have been up to like 200 and something. Cause the guy was, you know, doing a lot of different stuff and, and constantly working. Yeah. From TV to movies, uh, TV shows, voiceovers. I mean, he he was all over the place. He was busy. It, it, it was a tragedy losing him. And obviously I didn't know him personally, but he just seemed like a really good guy, like a guy yeah. that you wouldn't mind acting with. I could be totally wrong, but he just seemed like a, a really good person. And when the, he passed, like no one came out and said anything bad about John Ritter. And I think, you know, that says a lot. Um, yeah. so I think he was probably one of those guys. You're like, Oh, I have to work with John Ritter for the next, you know, six months working on this TV show. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think you hear more stories about people coming back and saying, Hey, when I worked with John Ritter, he gave me this really good advice about the industry, um, or yeah, life or something he, of that nature. He kind of turned into like a TV dad. And I think he kind of personified that. But I think he also, you know, did that for young actors is like the, he was their TV dad. Yeah, he was their mentor, right? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. The other the other name, uh, the lead actress, Pam Dauber, as Helen Nabel. So she does not have as many acting credits as Mr. John Ritter. She only logged in 40 on IMDb. What's interesting about her story is right out of the gate, she found success. So most people know her from the hit television series with Robin Williams, Mork and Mindy which aired from 78 to 82. And what was interesting about that is she didn't have really much experience at all in acting. She went to go try out for a pilot. Um, I think it was pilot. in 78. What's a pilot? Sorry, that's oh. no. whole picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was actually a spinoff of the Bewitched um, show, Tabitha. She was going for the lead role. ABC said, not this one, but we have some other projects we think you might be good at. And they liked her so much that, you know, they gave her another show. And quite honestly, most of her acting credits are for television with only a handful of roles. And, and I know why they cast, you know, both John and Pam, because, you know, the conceit of this is two, two, you know, people, a married couple gets sucked into TV land through the satellite. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to they have are TV people and they, yeah, have some of the two biggest TV people of the eighties. That's like part of the joke. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, another person that we've talked about she has before. a film credit called, do you know the muffin man? Yeah, really? Well, not yeah. only that, but how many, and this is a, you know, true test out there for you folks. And, and you know, you, you too. Um, what animated show was she on? Did she do a voiceover for animated show? Yeah. Ooh, I feel like it either comes down to Batman, the animated series or SpongeBob SquarePants. Cause I feel like everybody worked on those. <laughs> no, it was the Mork and Mindy slash Laverne and Shirley slash Fonz hour. What? <laughs> yeah. 
animated series. Why do I not remember this? It. There was an animated series with all those characters. Yep. Yep. Oh my god. Actually, right, it also internet. looks like she was in the 101 Dalmatians of the series. Oh. Oh, so, well, okay. Oh, and another thing too, she's married to Mark Harmon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She recently appeared on NCIS and that kind of ties a little bit, you know, uh Mark Harmon, Presidio, Peter Hines, oh, and okay. Dauber. Is that so, it, do we get bingo on that? How's that work? Uh just that I win at the end of this time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh okay. You have to forgive John for not having a Peter Hyam take at the first time around. Yes, so Dude, I know. Up. He just making schooled us up. on that, man. Yeah. <laughs> just make up for it big time. All Forgiven. right. Jeffrey Jones. He's our villain, right? He plays Johnny Spike. Now, listen, everybody knows about Jeffrey Jones from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Beetlejuice. We talked about Jeffrey Jones way back in ep- – I can't believe I'm saying this – way back in episode 104. Yep. Is that like a year ago? Yeah. Something like that? Oh, yeah. Almost. Getting yeah. there. Howard the Duck, 1986, which, I mean, that was his awesome. pinnacle film. Awesome movie. Okay, this other name. I want to spend just a few minutes on because uh, I, I totally did not expect him to show up, but yet when he's there, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this little bit part. Eugene, Eugene Levy. Levy, right? Yes, Crowley. Oh man. Yes. Uh, John, Eugene Levy fan, I assume. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, since when I was first uh, saw him in this movie, I, I hadn't really seen him then uh, until he came back in um, uh, movies like Splash. Armed and Dangerous, which I love. Oh, and my course, God. That was know, the John Candy film, right? Yes. Yeah, that movie was That's brilliant. Fun. That's fun. Um, and then, of course, the American Pie series. I think Eugene Levy, he's he's. I, I think he's one of those people that just, when I see him, I, I am not expecting to be disappointed. I'm just looking for more just greatness coming out of him and, and for him to tickle some ribs. He's, he's awesome. I love him. Yeah, I, I assume you're a fan, Brad. Oh, absolutely. Um Best in Show is one of my favorite comedies of all time, and he is one of the best characters in that as Gary. Yes. It, his career is so interesting. So he gets started with a Canadian sitcom, right? So the equivalent of SNL called SCTV that ran from 76 to 84. Then he does a bunch of 80s films, Going Berserk, Splash, Armed and Dangerous. And in the 90s, he's showing up here and there. Stay tuned. Multiplicity, he's in that. Yes. Hooks up with Christopher Guest and then is in these docu comedies waiting for government best in show a mighty win for your consideration. <laughs> yeah. And and around that same time too, he's uh, got this fantastic bit part in American Pie as Jim, as Jim's dad, yep. which I think he's a scene stealer in in yes, that film. Is. And you go, okay, well that that was a good career. That was a good run. I mean, he had he hit he hit some high marks through all those films then turns around and comes back from 2015 to 2020 and does a television series that I think ev- I haven't seen it, but I feel like I'm the only one on the planet who hasn't seen it. And it's Shit's Creek uh, <laughs> and wins a bunch of awards for that as well. I, yeah. I haven't seen Shit's Creek either, but I heard it's amazing. I've seen the previews. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm he he developed too. it with his son. Uh, it, it, it's loved by everybody. Critics, yep. super popular, but I mean, name another person he, he kind of has that Travolta effect, right? He like hits, hits the highs, then he's still working, then hits another high, then, okay, go back, work again, then hits another high. I mean, this guy, man, what a career. I, I, I feel like the industry, and especially comedy in general, is really going to take a hit if anything happens to Eugene Levy. Agreed. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I mean, like you said, you look at his background. I mean, from from skits and that does a lot of, you know, uh, you know uh, impromptu, you know, just on the fly stuff to, you know, his choice movies that he comes, uh, and he does, uh, he was the car salesman in national lampoons vacation. Oh yeah. That's um, right. yeah. 
you know, to, you know, what I've heard a lot about myself, Shit's Creek. Um, this is a guy who, who's just, he's hit the scene. And while he might say, you know what, I'm just going to take a step back a little bit. He's never pushed off stage. Um, so he, he definitely has, um, to me, star power. And that star power definitely is there to make you laugh. And, and he's, I just think he's just, just 110% wonderful. Okay. I have a I have a movie that we're going to add to our list, Troy. It's called Gooby. Gooby? Oh, my Lord. What the heck Gooby. is Gooby? <laughs> it is a comedy fantasy drama film. What? Called uh, Gooby? Gooby. He's a teddy bear. Oh, uh, who is this a Eugene Levy film? It is. Gooby. What, how, Gooby. When, uh, okay, give me a year. When oh was this thing? Gosh. 2009. 2009. Canadian. Ooh, all right. Canadian Gooby. All right. Also I, known as... A Ted, a what? A Ted named Gooby. What does that even mean? A Ted, like a teddy bear named Gooby? I guess. A t- yeah. yeah, I guess in Canada they call them Ted's. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So is this supposed to be like a ripoff of Ted? <sighs> when was Ted? Ooh, I don't know. Or maybe Ted know. ripped off Gooby. Who knows? Maybe. Oh man, I think it's a, probably a better version of uh, when Harry met Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons. Ooh, when, Harry movie, yes. Hendersons. <laughs> when Harry met Hendersons. When Harry met Hendersons. All right, some production and development notes. So in 1990, um, Jim Genowine and Thomas Parker wrote the entire story for the film under the working title Terror Vision, not to be confused with the horror movie Terror Vision. And it was inspired by the idea that um, the evil dead meets Monty Python. That was that was kind of the elevator pitch, right? So... You're, you're in the 90s. You're going to go, hey, let's do Evil Dead, Ver- Evil Dead Monty Python mashup. What director do you go after? What do you think? I know the answer to this, so I won't say. Oh. No, same here. So okay. go ahead and talk. Go ahead. Tim Burton. That's Tim right. Burton. Yep, Tim Burton. So Tim Burton was originally chosen to be the director on the account of his art and style. Duh. But Timmy's like, no, I'm going to go work on Batman Returns. So we've had a couple of movies lately. Yeah, we've had a couple (laughs) of movies lately where Tim Burton's attached. He's like, no, I'm going to work on like this really cool film. So we've talked about it bombs. Critics didn't like it. Not a lot of people saw it because the audience score is pretty low. We've got this unsung hero of the 80s and 90s behind the camera. And in my opinion, you got some comedy chops in front of the camera. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you. Why did this bomb? I mean, just looking at the stuff in terms of um, the release, what it was up against, who starred in it, what was going on with it, the marketing. I don't know if you saw the trailer. Why, why do you think this just didn't take off? Um, to be blunt, I mean, again, as Brad listed them out, I mean, look what it went up against. And to be blunt, um, re-watching it, um, it, it, it does. It has a slow, you know, first chapter. You know, it, it takes a little while to get into its chops, um, to the point where, um, when I watched it a second time this week, uh, my son actually sat down, asked, what is this movie? And I kind of told him what it was and explained it to him. He actually sat down and watched it all. And he actually dug it, which was kind of a shock because, um, from start to finish, he was like, like John Ritter's character. He was glued to the TV watching this thing. But, you know, at the same time too, I mean, I know what they were going for, but at the same time too, what was the, uh, in living color, um, was big on the scene in the nineties. And that's, if, if you kind of like do a you know comparison, that's what kind of this really was, was just like a two hour version of in living color, just 
uh, really, really just trying to find spoofs where it could while just really driving home um, a message that John Ritter, to, you know, delivers at the end. Um, I think the audiences, again, uh, with the choices, um, when you look at it, uh, marketing, pretty much non-existent. Um, it's one of those, when you look at it, you go, huh, that or like Unforgiven or Single White Female. Mm, let me go check that out. Yeah, or what? Uh, what were the other comedies? League of Their Own, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. League of Their Own was probably the big one. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Brad? I mean, what's your take on this? Um, So... When you think about like referential and very meta films, they it, it took a while for them to really start to catch. And as much as I love John Ritter, it, the it's got a really weird trailer. It, it 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 comes across as like a spoof movie, one that you're not supposed to take serious. And yeah, they're like doing a lot of jokes on. TV and stuff like that. But I, I think they had a really hard time getting across what this actually was. Um, and, and the fact that you're spending $20 million on basically the same gag over and over again. And um, I, I just think it was a, a product of spending too much money, having the idea that, Hey, we're going to have two people who played characters on TV that are very recognizable because these characters are going to be on TV in this film. So we're going to play into that. Uh, but they're really not huge names. Peter Hyams, you know, I'm not sure he's a director that gets butts in seats. Um, to be honest with you, there's very few, that like people were like, Oh, this is a such and such directed film. I don't care. I'm just going. So Peter Himes doesn't have that. And like we said, there's a lot of comedies in August and even the month before that are better. Well, that were bigger, you know, honey, I blew up the kids as the sequel, probably not as successful as the first one, but still that's your family friendly film. And I believe, you know, uh, stay tuned. Probably is it is it rated PG thirteen? I don't oh, know. PG maybe. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. So anyway, it just it's a hard movie to sell to people. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, and especially when you have all those other choices, because what's what's the most powerful thing with movies, right? Word of mouth. One person goes sees like a league of their own, and all of a sudden word of mouth spreads, and it's like you start forgetting what else is out there. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think I, and the critics didn't like this very much either. So they're you know they're not selling it. I I I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it from a marketing or or just like a package perspective. So if if the elevator pitch really was Evil Dead meets Monty Python, I didn't see any of that within the casting, the director, or any of the marketing materials at all. And when, when you hear names like Tim Burton or something of that nature, heck yeah, I, I think Tim Burton could bring that idea of Evil Dead meets Monty Python to the screen and do something like Beetlejuice again with this kind of material. But just looking at it from the standpoint of you look at the movie poster, you look at the television commercial, and you go, oh great, here's 280 sitcom stars that really just kind of fly under the radar in terms of films. They're not box office attractions. 
Peter Himes has done some great work in the eighties, but I mean, he's, he's not Tim Burton. He's not Sam Raimi. He's not going to bring evil dead and mighty Python to the screen. He's, he's going to make a good film. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think if you're, if you're, if you've got a demographic or audience and saying, okay, what are the adults going to do? I don't know if they're going to go to this because they go, Ooh, that looks kind of too kiddish, but it's not really kiddish at all. Right. Cause the kids are going to see honey. I blew up the whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because even that material probably gravitates to more of their humor or their written problem child again. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Cause they're little bastards. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying like who, who was the movie for when you actually look at it? And if you are a discerning parent or kid who can only see like a film or two and you see what's out there, you go, well, I don't, I don't know if this movie is for me. Like it, it felt like it was so middle of the road just in its approach of how it was trying to sell itself that um, I people were just kind of confused going, well, I'm too old for that. And then the people that are going, you know, to it from a young perspective, I'm like, well, it's not goofy enough for me. So I I think from a marketing perspective, it, it just didn't catch hold from an identity. And it didn't help that the critics kind of tore this up and said, eh, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, they weren't like trashing it because like you said, it, it still has a higher percentage than, you know, single digits. Mm-hmm. So there were some people who liked it. But it wasn't enough to kind of go, hey, folks, go see this thing. Although I'm I'm sure when this title comes up, everybody goes, oh, I remember that from HBO or I rented the heck out of that. So I, I think the reason why it has a Blu-ray release is there's there's a little bit more of a cult following to it because people did take a chance on it. Now, when I saw it in the theaters, I, I do remember having that. Um, yeah, that was OK. I mean, I, I wasn't blown away from it, but I certainly wasn't going and telling everybody to watch this film. Right. So I'm, I'm sure that didn't help either. No. But we had a chance, the three of us, grown-ass adults, to revisit this thing. So how about we take a quick break, and then we see how this viewing went down. How's that sound? Copy that. All right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Uh, may I help you? Uh, I'd like two of those, please. Hot dogs? Yes, sir. And three of those. And one of those. And five bars of these. And a cup of the nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee. Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags of those peculiar white coffee material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer just outside. <laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission. Somewhere in the heart of this city, in a small shop closing for the night, a robbery is in progress. But help is on the way. Mind if I drop in? Captain of John Ritter is Steve Nichols. How about that? Hero. At large. Who are you, J. Edgar Hoover? I'm Captain Avenger. Such a nice boy. He can't fly. Tomorrow I'm leaping over a tall building at a single bound. Wrong guy. I'm expanding. He can't bend steel. I'm in big trouble. Fighting crime is a dirty business. But when there's danger, he can't turn away. You're a crazy man. He dresses up in a comic book suit and goes around doing good deeds. Hold it right there. Don't make another move. If they're going to use real bullets, I think 
think I'll retire. He's loved by women. I'm not always this easy. I bet you say that to all the girls. Cheered by men. They want their superhero and all he stands for to hold on to. And worshipped by children. Captain Avenger. Yes, sir. Let's see you fly. A hero's work is never done. He's nutty, but noble. I'm counting to three, Milo. Who the hell is that? This is Robert Redford. He's dizzy, but dedicated. People putting themselves on the line for other people. That's what being a hero is. But he's really just an actor who got carried away with a role. It's just like any other part. You gotta really get into it. Captain Avenger. Who sends you out in these missions anyway? Your agent? I took a third-rate movie, made it the biggest hit of the year with a simple gimmick. Captain Avenger comes to your neighborhood. Authorities are still wondering who the man in the red, blue, and yellow costume with a large A on his chest really is. It's me, Steve Nichols. All he knows about heroes is that people need one. Uh, yeah, I heard it a couple of times. All he could do was make himself hero at large. Well, I think it's really terrific. John Ritter. Ann Archer, Bert Convey, and Kevin McCarthy. Hero at large. At last, help is on the way. back okay john we're gonna kick it over to you you had a chance to revisit stay tuned um what what you think about this viewing uh i i still can't believe i forgot about this movie because i i am one of those that truly appreciates when a medium takes and pokes fun at itself um always been a john ritter fan um especially uh Again, with his performances and especially Skin Deep and 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 Slink Blade, just to see him there, <clears throat> Pandora was always. I always enjoyed watching her, um, but yeah, I noticed that you know can't really remember seeing her much doing anything. Um, the movie itself was, you know, I understood why it took a little bit to get started, but it, it's like that last half of the movie when they really start getting in there and they really start throwing you know, the puns and the, and the parodies and the spoofs of a lot of movies, TV shows and stuff. I mean, like, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing two old men and was like, Oh, I can't feel my arm. <laughs> and he falls over and the other goes, Oh, I can't see anymore. And it goes different strokes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of dad jokes in this movie. Let's be honest. It is, you know, um, the one that had <laughs> stay tuned for the dad jokes. Yeah. 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 Um, the one that had Bishop cracking up hilariously was the home shoplifting channel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just brilliant, brilliant stuff that I, I completely forgot um, how big Star Trek The New Generation was up to the point of that movie. And, and to see him in there as Picard, um, it, it was it, it was so great. Uh, side note, Picard on paramount plus if anyone has not seen it watch it it is actually really well done um to the point where (laughs) to the point of i thought this was i thought this was just pure brilliance um to see him dressed up as prince 
And Jeffrey Jones as Vanilla Ice, I thought was like the cherry on the ice cream. Oh, the uh, salt and pepper music salt video. And pepper, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not pepper. Um, it's pepper. Pepper. I don't. Yeah. Which you said pepper. Mister Salt and Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> which I think that's where half the budget went to was just to get them in the movie. But uh, I digress. It was it was definitely. One of those, when I was done watching it, I was like, wow, I really cannot believe I forgot it. I did an immediate rewatch after I had picked it up um, or got it delivered, that is. Um, And then, like I said, another night, I just watched it again. I just wanted to watch it. Um, And Bishop sat down and he he thoroughly, to quote him, I really like that. So, yeah, for me, it was just fun. um, And to see some of the brilliant things that they brought back. I completely forgot um, this was one of the, you know, last projects that Chuck Jones, the great Chuck Jones worked on um, seeing my man, Captain Lou Albano um, in there was just oh, so many memories of watching wrestling on TV. And uh, side note, he was the first Italian to play Mario. And I only bring that up because Mario Brothers brought busted a billion and their theme song just got inducted into the National Archive. So you know, oh. kudos to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was one of those things that I didn't think I was going to rewatch it as often as I did, but I did because there was always something I was, I was, I guess I missed when I was laughing through that last rewatch. So I had to rewatch it again to see what else I missed. And yeah, there was definitely a lot more. I, I thought it was, I thought it was very, uh, next level. And when it was trying to spoof itself, especially when it came back, uh, full circle to John Ritter and really, you know, take a dig at himself. So it was, it was, it was just fun for me. So it was a good watch. Good time. Absolutely. I'm like Absolutely. that Bishop liked it. I, I've, I'm always curious about this type of film and especially with the younger generation. Does it connect? And that's where I was, I, I'm going to be flat out. I, I was freaking shocked that he said, I really like this. Right. But I think what it was, was not the highbrow humor or the, you know, the brainiac type of humor. It was just that here's something. Can you dig it? Cause he watched, you know, when, you know, the little lady got ran over, he's like, oh man, that was bad. Oh, driving then, over Miss Daisy. <laughs> and then he saw the sign driving over Miss Daisy. Daisy. He just started losing his shit. Um, so it was interesting to see a 21 year old uh, who had never seen this. This is like, again, you know, so many years before he was born, but he came away going, man, I really like that. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I gotta be honest, the eighties and nineties, I, I feel like with Cameron or angel to hit or miss, there are some things that I think they're going to love and they go, yeah, it was all right. Uh, and, and it just doesn't connect with them. And other things where to your point, they'll, they'll, I don't invite them cause I don't think they're interested. And then they pass by and they go, what's this? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch it again. And the stuff that they rewatch, it just totally surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. a pleasant surprise. Brad, your pick. Uh, so this was a fond memory watching this as a kid. Did that fond memory deliver as an adult? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I knew this movie beat by beat. I literally did not have to watch this thing. I remember that first 20 minutes where, the Seidenbaums get pulled in. Uh, Jeffrey Jones comes to the house. He and his wife have a have a fight. He gets the satellite. They get sucked in. I've seen that probably no less than a hundred times. And I know that 
when he goes, Helen, the TV, like I, <laughs> that is like imprint, imprinted on my brain. Can can you recite this one the way you do Pulp Fiction? Because you you act out Pulp Fiction. It's like watching um, a shadow I cast I almost version. can. Okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this one would be a little bit weirder. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I, I like, you know, the heaven and hell dynamic is, is could be really dumb it actually kind of makes sense like the devil wants to be entertained when he takes souls so that they do this whole thing and they've got 24 hours or you know god gets the souls back you know so they they do some stuff to kind of get this to make somewhat sense in, in a way um but i you know the main feature of this is them kind of channel surfing and going through all the different parodies and some of them are hysterical. Others are pretty funny. Some of them are, you know, just little commercials that, you know, are just like, I just think it's pretty funny. And as a kid, I think this is a perfect film because each aesthetic is like five to 10 minutes. Even that might be a stretch. And so like, it's uh, like a vignette sort of film. So if you don't like a certain thing that's going on, like, say the black and white thing or the cartoon or whatever they're on to something else. Um, but I find, you know, the Eugene Levy performance really funny. John Ritter's <laughs> funny him and the wife, you know, as they sort of continue to mend their marriage and, you know, do these things that kind of prove each other that they still love each other. Um, you know, the kids are obviously the weak links. Um, the sister, kind of sucks the son is a you know bratty little kid the sister's a bitch let's just put it yeah. out there she's a total bitch that's yeah. exactly Terrible. what bishop Terrible. said oh yeah, my that's god exactly what bishop said and she talks like she's got a bunch of marbles in her mouth i don't like her the way she talks is weird but anyway yeah um i i gotta say i find this thing super enjoyable and just immensely rewatchable i i i think it's pretty breezy at its runtime but even when you kind of get to the the back end of it where they're going through Dwayne's underworld and the French Revolution stuff, <laughs> it's all really funny and really well done. Um, you know, I was making the joke last week where it was like, my three sons of <laughs> <Yes>. bitches. <laughs> of bitches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the Rose, uh, three, three men and Rosemary's baby. Yes. <laughs> it's all really funny, man. And it, it still plays. You know, I would kind of, you know, I, I had said to you, this was like the proto cabin in the woods. I mean, it kind of is in a way, yeah. um, the way it plays that. out, um, you know, the, the meta aspect of it and, you know, having people control what's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, like it, it's just, we're going to call movie fun, I guess. So, but no, it's like a really fun movie. You know, I hate kind of describing things as fun cause that's very subjective but i had fun watching this thing and like i turned it on today just to kind of have it in the background and i'm like god like i still really like this movie and i watched it like four days ago okay yeah i, I mean so full disclosure some of the ones you've picked lately i'm like i don't know i mean we talked about drop dead fred and i just really <laughs> was not looking forward to watching that and and i gotta be honest stay tuned wasn't at i i I wasn't bracing myself the way that I was trying to brace myself for drop dead Fred, but this one was kind of like, stay tuned. What am I going to say about it? I, I remember it. I remember seeing it in the theater 
I really didn't watch it after that because I thought it was okay, right? Um, but what I'm, I'm trying to think about the time period when it came out and what my viewing tastes were. And I, I really think at this part of my cinematic career, I wanted, I wanted more like, um, Argento. I mean, I, I want to say it was the late eighties, early nineties is when I found out about like Italian horror, uh, Westerns and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure when I watched this film, I thought it was okay, but I, I'm, 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 I guarantee Troy at that time period was like a film snob and was like, mm, I want some more like Polish war dramas or something of that nature. Right. And, and I don't know if you guys ever get that. Like if you got yeah, pretentious, Troy is such a bitch. He is. I know, but I'm sure you got to that point when you oh, first discovered yes. like Kurosawa or you're yeah. going, Oh, forties film noir. I'm just going to dive into that. And you, you kind of looked at this film and you go, Ooh, I don't want to waste my time with it because it, it either looks too childish or, uh, it's another, you know, dumb comedy like Problem Child and and I'm just going to skip it. So that that was kind of my thought going into it is basing, hey, I don't know if I don't know what to say about it because when I saw it the first time there wasn't much to say about it then, right? Mhm. Okay. Uh so this isn't in my opinion a high mark for Peter Himes in, in terms of directing. So I'll just I'll just put that out there. It's it's really solid and it's good. It's a well-made film. But the reason to to go out and buy this thing or, you know, both digital or physical copies, a great Blu-ray, transfer looks fantastic, mm-hmm. is John Ritter. It's it's a John Ritter film through and through. Uh the thing does a fantastic, an amazing job of highlighting what made John Ritter so good. Because he had this combination of being able to do some of the best physical comedy, not just pratfalls, but just expressions and um, reactions and everything else that he was able to mold with this charm that you you just wanted to hang out with him. I mean, he was he was just super fun. And even in the beginning of the film where you kind of know he's he might be the problem of why they're having a bad marriage, you don't you don't hate him. You feel more sorry for him, uh, which again, I think is the essence of John Ritter. So I, I, I did like this film quite a bit. I, I, I'm almost ready to say I loved it because, uh, I had so much fun with it. Like I let myself go with it and just dove right into that entire premise and was kind of intoxicated with John Ritter. I, I was just so enamored with his entire performance. I do think it's missing some more dark comedic elements. I would have liked to have seen that, but I still think it's pretty damn funny. And I was going to ask you guys, if you had to, if you had to pick your top three segments and there's a ton of them, could you rank them? Yes. Okay. What's yours? Uh, top three segments is definitely, um, when he is fighting with his wife and she's talking to him and he's trying to listen, but he's also got his eyes glued to the TV. Oh, the basketball game. <laughs> yeah. We've all done that. We still do that. Right. That's my number one scene. Uh, number two scene for me was definitely uh, him dressed up as Prince and trying to see him dance. And he was doing a little <laughs> groove and then he like falls off the scaffold. I just lost my shit. It, it, it funny um and then definitely he comes out of the saloon all east wooded up 
Um, and he 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 breaks the, the door. It's just his reaction is like, oh shit, oh okay, let me put that down. And he starts shaking his foot because he's wearing shit kickers. <laughs> he's like a little cat, and then he starts choking on his cigar. Um, just those different ranges of what he was doing just reminded me so much of why I thought John Ritter was just underappreciated for what he can bring. And if you write a character for him that really lets him stretch all those legs, um, he, he, he will deliver. Yeah. The, the, I love all those sequences. Did, do you have a top three Brent? I like, I like Dwayne's underworld quite a bit just because I was a big Wayne's world fan. <laughs> I like the noir stuff a lot. Cause at first, like he's talking and he's like, wait, is that my voice? And you can hear his inner monologue. <laughs> yeah. There's like some things like that, that really call back to the, the characteristics of the genre that they're in. I, I love and how I, he couldn't, he couldn't figure out the shoulder hoster. <laughs> yeah, yes. So he just puts the gun in his pants. <laughs> and I really like, you can't win. I, I just think that's like, Oh the, yeah. <laughs> their initial game is called you can't win because they have to admit all this stuff. And like we had talk shows or game shows like that where, you had like, it's called like the biggest liar or something like that. Like, yeah. like you literally had to like, they like made you like admit like some rotten shit that you've done or like you would lose. So like we kind of came around and did that, but those are the ones I like. I mean, the French revolution stuff is really good too. She's like, uh, she's like, Roy, you have boobs. <laughs> oh yeah. Just this reaction. It, it, it's classic Ritter, but it, it was still hilarious. Yeah, I'm not sure many people play the lovable loser as good as John Ritter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, th it's that charm element. It's his, it's this charisma that he has that you're really rooting for him the entire film, 100. Yeah. percent Oh, and the other one is the giant lizard in Tokyo that gets uh, oh, yeah. what are, what's her name Sidebound. Yeah, Sidebound. Yeah, yeah. I, if I had to rank him, and this this is what surprised me because I loved it so much that Chuck Jones segment that goes for about six minutes was my favorite uh, because no, it's the cartoon segment. For yeah, the cartoon know, segment. The cartoon. So yeah. you get this combination of Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry that is uh, a perfect homage to it. But again, John Ritter is this mouse. It just works. And, and if <laughs> he, he is so good that, it makes the expressions of this animated mouse come to life just with his, his voice, his intonations and everything else. And I believe that little mouse is, is John Ritter. Uh, and, and I loved it so much. The second for me would probably be the salt and pepper music video. So <laughs> Jeffrey Jones and John Ritter trying to do the, like have a dance off in the back of this music video to get the remote control is just one of the best comedic moments I've seen this year. It's so much fun. And John Ritter in that ridiculous outfit, as much as the Pratt falls like him, like you said, John falling off scaffolding, and everything else, his reaction to what's going on with him, his, his whole face is so animated. It, it's just so much, it, it's so much fun to watch. And third place goes to Dwayne's underworld. I think it's hilarious. I was yeah. impressed with the makeup effects. Mm -hmm. of all the yes. zombies in the crowd and even um Wayne and Garth uh it, that's and and it's really funny too all the stuff they do runner up um is the Star Trek episode yeah. seeing Ritter in a bald cap um looking like uh Picard was hilarious and uh I did a spit take with the driving over Miss Daisy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that um 
and I, I was laughing hysterically, but that that's a good example of some of the dark comedy that when it hits and you don't expect it, that that's, that's probably my only complaint is I wish it just did a little bit more of that, like not mean spirited, but just went a little darker. Um, yeah. I mean, it is a family comedy, so I understand why they didn't, but yes. Yeah. When you say evil dead meets Monty Python, you're, you kind of hope they dial it up just a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, and you know, when they, they, if you think about it, right, they, they break up those little vignettes in, in different ways, right? There is some dark driving over Miss Daisy. Then they flip it over to something, you know, lighthearted. Then they flip it back to something sort of dark, but then they with flip the cassette it back. tape where the guys, the, Oh, the Max Hell. Uh, oh yeah, my Max God. <laughs> and his head comes off. That was oh. funny. That was my son. So my son, he didn't understand that bit. So I paused the movie. And I had the commercial. I, 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 no, I went downstairs and grabbed one of my old Max L tapes. I still actually factory sealed. I, I keep one. Don't ask me why. Uh, and showed them to him. I was like, nurse. <laughs> yes. I was like, that's it. He's like, oh my God, that's hilarious. So yeah. Well, okay. That's a good segue. I love that. So I love that you had to stop the film and explain that commercial to him. Uh, Cause that, that's a staple of like the eighties, right. And early nineties. Yeah. So what I, here's the, here's the other thing I really love about this film. So there's, there's like three things. The first is uh, obviously John Ritter. The second is this is a, this is almost like an archeological. It's a time um, capsule. Time capsule. It really yeah. It, it, that's it's, a great word. It really just got me giddy to go back and look at this environment because I think it captures everything of what suburban life was uh, in the early nineties, late eighties. So here's some things I wrote down. Do you, do you remember when everybody put their names on their house? Yep. Uh, do you have anybody in your neighborhood that does that today? No. Oh no. Yeah. But back then every house had like the, the sour. Oh, we were shooting the, it up in the sky, like a bat signal. <laughs> yeah. You were like, well, here's my neon sign with on last yeah. name. So you know exactly who lives here. I, I love this because uh tech nerd, but he got a 44 inch television, which was huge, right? With 900 lines of resolution, yep. which was crazy for that time period. I, I love the satellite dish that takes up the entire backyard. I remember having a neighbor who had one of those things. And uh, I always thought I was going to get cancer if I stood too close to it. Um <laughs> A reference to Radio Shack. If that doesn't yes. date your film, <laughs> I uh, miss Radio Shack. Yeah, you mentioned Lou Albano. Uh, Lou Albano. Yep, Did I get Albano, the last name yeah. right? Yeah, where you have classic wrestling uh, and it being uh, again in a film like this, and you get all excited for it. Yeah, but I didn't know if you guys had any others. You talked about the the Maxwell tape reference where you had to show that. I mean, is there anything else that just kind of stood out as, oh man, this is. This is so of its time that it was kind of fun to see. I mean, see. I forgot the wrestling is really good too. I think the yeah. wrestling, it's not as funny, but it's it's really good, like little set piece. Yeah. Um, God, when he says my three sons of bitches, could you <laughs> oh, have, yeah. my nine year old self still laughs at that so hard. Oh, yeah. So hard. Or you just know, had the- to add one word, literally one <laughs> word, and it's yeah. funny. Or, uh, what was the other one, right? I, I remember talking about this uh, uh, Yogi Beer. Oh yeah. Hey, babe. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy. <clears throat> I, I think the only other thing that really kind of threw me back was, um, when the, when the kid, I can't never, I don't remember his name. I don't care. Um, but he, he, he comes up on his bike and I'm like, Oh my gosh, 
I actually had one of his those. His name bikes. is Daryl. Get it Darryl. right. Daryl. Well, Daryl had his bike, and I, you know, I, I can remember so many kids who actually had that bike. Um, but he also had that little number five uh plate across his handlebars, and you know, in our neighborhood back then, if you had one of those, we kicked your ass. That was <laughs> Dang. Just a too much. That's wow. a little too much, but that was a little too bougie for John. Yes, Ooh. it was. I mean, it, but it's funny that so Troy, you mentioned like you know, families' names on everyone's houses. Um, so growing up as a kid, uh, it kind of wasn't a, a really an option for us because you know, we grew up on an army base, everyone had their name up on oh. so they knew exactly where you had yeah. To See, the but, army wants to know where you're at. I get that exactly. Um, but it, it, it was yeah, there's just so much that it was just again just poking fun at everything and everyone um to the point where it when he even flashed back to him being Jack Tripper on Three's Company and he had that classic scream of his. <laughs> yes. Right? He had that classic scream. It was just it was just so fun. So much fun. But you don't like that, Brad. You would have turned it off at that point, right? If it, if the theme the theme song was going to kick in, yeah, I would have. So here, here's the third element I ask you guys about, and and this is one that I again probably didn't realize or or recognize until watching it with a bit more of a critical eye. the The social commentary in this film is there, and it's pretty nuanced, and I actually think it's pretty poignant, not just for that time period, but it, it feels like it resonates more today. Uh, specifically the whole concept of how much you waste your life in front of media, right? Television. Yep. So yep. back then it was, you know, just the television itself. But if you think about streaming services, video games, all the other stuff, it, it really, uh, makes sense. And this whole concept that, okay, you can lose your soul by just being teleported into this and not being able to come out of it. That, that really just kind of resonates, especially with what goes on today, I think, especially when when we when we talk about um, how people can be so triggered with their media and opinions and, oh, you know, this doesn't have this and uh, I'm, I'm looking for this kind of messaging and it's not there or there's too much messaging and all this other stuff. There, there's this element of the film that I'm wondering, you know, when, when you talk about Hollywood remakes – I'm, I'm always thinking why, why go back and do that remake of that film that was so popular and all you're going to just do is the same story beats and just recast it differently. Right. Uh, like the, the whole Disney thing of taking cartoons and putting them in live action. I, I haven't ever seen one. I, I watched the Mulan one. I think that was the only one cause Donnie was in it, <laughs> but the others never really interested me, but this one, it, it feels like it is just prime for a remake in 2023, 2024, and they could do a lot more dark comedy. Like they, they have a choice to go and do some really heavy satire, especially with this, the content that's on any of your streaming services uh, and films and everything else. And, and, and could just have a ball with it. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Or you could do, you know, social media. I mean, they could go yeah. so many different routes, video you know, games. I mean, phone, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree <clears throat> that it's a brilliant concept to really um, take a poke at it. But honestly, it, it, it could never happen in today's time because, and you know, forgive me for saying, there's just too many pussies out there who would just get offended <laughs> at, you know, them like saying, hey, look at yourself. I mean, it, 
it's it's brilliant that you mentioned that because this it, this movie does it parallels quite a bit of today's society. I mean, you think about it, right? With everything going on in the world, right? This is social media, video games, streaming services. That is the new emperor's circus, right? Everybody watch this and pay attention to all that. Never mind what's really happening, right? And you know the dichotomy of heaven and hell. Um, well. You know, think about it, right? You're sucked into these worlds. That's your viewpoint or whatever, you know, stance you take, or this is why you love this show. And you're, you know, you'll kill anybody who speaks ill of Grogu. Um, Yes, yes, I will. Yes, I will. (laughs) Um, It's, it's, it's one of those things that if it were to be done, you'd have to have people who are willing to make it and say, you know what? I don't care what audiences will you know get mad at this has to be made because number one it's even funnier today the stuff that you can poke fun of and that it's even more poignant for today and for anybody listening who wants to finance and produce the film uh i'll come work so well i i here's the thing i, I think it could be done today where, where i think peter himes is really successful with this film is none of it is mean-spirited so take the driving over Miss Daisy. It, it's kind of a dark comedy, right? But it, it's not necessarily mean spirited. And I think you could do this if you get, if you get the right screenplay and the right director and go, yeah, we're going to make, I mean, stay tuned as an observational comedy more than anything. I mean, wouldn't you agree mm-hmm. for yeah. the nineties? Oh, yeah. yeah. So if, if you do something that is observational, uh, and, and what's nice about this, it's, it's not really messaging outside of anything of, Hey folks, take a look at how much time you're spending in this. And then look at this example of being, you know, jettisoned into it. And here's a married couple that has to go through all these experiences to come together. And, and it's, it's a fun film. It's not preachy, but it really has some funny observations about the material that we're kind of putting into our eyeballs. And right. I, I think that's where it's success lies. It's, it's not offensive um, and it's not like hurting anybody's feelings. It's having a lot of fun poking fun at itself as well as the medium. And I, I feel like, man, just remake this thing today because there's way more things you could do from an observational standpoint. That's my take on it. No, I, I would say you would agree if there's an audience that can digest it and not get offended at every little thing. I mean, if you think I, about I it. I think there, I mean, I don't know, Brad, what's your take on this? I, no, I think I, mean, I think there is an audience. Like, I, I the the ones who really get upset, I think still they're works. small. Yeah. Parody still works. But to what I extent, think. when you have shows on TV now, like uh, Milf Island. <laughs> well... That's a I mean, show. Seriously. <laughs> That's a real show? Yeah. Oh. I kid you not. I think it's yeah. called Milf Manor, isn't it? No, it's Milf Island. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, you're watching what, the Canadian version. What station is yeah. that on exactly? <laughs> I mean, just, just out of curiosity. No, I'm kidding. I don't. Okay. <laughs> what tab on Pornhub is that one? Yeah, what? <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, it, it's one of those. It, for me, like, like to that to that same vein, I think Blazing Saddles is another movie that should be, you know, if blessed by Mel Brooks, to be redone. And, again, I think it would go over so many people's heads because they're just looking to get offended for something because that is a movie that is a great parody of society as a whole. I mean, it totally makes fun of everything that, you know, people's like, oh, I can't believe you said that. Well think about it. It, it did, but I, I don't know. I, I have a, 
I guess I'm a more glass half full. Like I, I agree. There is a very vocal minority out there who doesn't like a lot of stuff and, and is looking to pick a fight with anything that gets released. Right. Especially but, if the messaging is incorrect. Right. But I will say, you know, I, I also do agree with you. I think there is an audience out there and maybe it is that silent, um, you know, silent majority or minority, whatever you want to call it, that if it were to be done, I, I think it could have a great showing, great word of mouth. I mean, and because of the way medium, uh, the media is delivered nowadays through its various mediums, it could have a solid uh, outing, a solid return. Yeah. I, hey, I'll tell you the group I would love to tackle this just because I think they could do a lot. I, I would love uh, Broken Lizard to come back and remake Ooh, yeah. this thing. Yeah, I, I think they uh, would do... Uh, I, I think they would do this thing justice and make it very funny. But the thing I've always liked about broken lizard films, even, you know, their newer one quasi it's the quality you, you can debate. I'll, I'll give that to you. But at the end of the day, they, they are still very funny um, script writers and they can pull the comedy off in, in such a manner like this and probably take it to places that they're a little bit darker, but, but never mean which I, th I think is the important aspect of this film. It's super right. funny. It's, it's poking fun at a lot of things, but it, but it's never mean. Right. And that's, I think that's, that's the great, that's the great obstacle for a lot of folks, right? Can you objectively sit back and realize they're not making fun of you? They're just trying to make you laugh. If you sit back and think about it. Yeah. I, mm, yeah. Well, you don't, you don't agree with that, Brad? No, I do. I, I just think, I think people, overgeneralize sometimes the the sensitivity of society based on what's tw trending on Twitter at times. Like I don't think people are as uptight about stuff as we want to believe. Maybe that's just me, but I, I um, I'm with you. I kind of, and again, maybe it's the circles I, I run in, but I, I don't run into a lot of people who are upset with some of the things that you read in variety trade mags, ESG ratings, all the other stuff. And you're like, I, I don't think people pay attention. To that. I think, I think people pay attention to quality and whether or not they're entertained. Uh, and, and that's what matters. I think, I think that's definitely showing, I mean, you just mentioned it super Mario brothers. The film yep. is doing a billion. Yep. Uh, that humor in that is no different than the humor in stay tuned in my opinion. Well, thanks for the thanks for spoiling it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, it's it's Super Mario Brothers is a really funny film. So yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like referencing. Uh, Stay tuned is referencing TV shows and movies. Mario Brothers is just referencing Mario Brothers. Yeah, it's, 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 but I mean, it's got something. a lot to reference, right? It's yeah, entire exactly. catalog. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and like I said, as long as you know, I I think that's what it is too, right? I mean it's not that I'm trying to go out of my way and say there are a lot of sensitive people, but it, it just, I, I think humor comedy, the ability to look at yourself and make fun of yourself is lost on quite a few folks. Right. And I think it's, it's one of those things that a lot of filmmakers today who I think could put out some really <clears throat> amazing stuff. I mean, you mentioned broken lizard, right? They put it out. And like you said, they're not going out of the way to be mean or, you know, specifically poke fun at people but if people get you know a little you know uptight about you know their comedy they're like eh, well you didn't like it sorry yeah, yeah i think yeah I think, you can't be alpha bro if you're laughing at yourself right how am i gonna get these side hustles off the ground if i'm laughing at myself <laughs> yeah i need my side hustles you gotta have at least 30 <laughs> to retire comfortably now yeah exactly exactly if you're not making sixty thousand dollars a week with passive income you're a pussy <laughs> yeah but I, honestly i you know 
kudos to anybody who wants to do it. I will work for you. Um, I, I honestly, because you're right. I mean, there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of material um, for some self-reflection and poking fun at themselves out there. This there would is. be right yeah. for, for a remake. Yeah. I have a question for you too. Okay. We've done a few of my films that I grew up with, uh, most notably Solar Babies and Stay Tuned. This one's much better than Solar Babies. Yeah, it's to tell a me that. hundred thousand times better than Solar Babies. Okay. I right. will have a hard disagreement. Well, I'm just kidding. You're silly. No, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. look. I I get the Solar Babies thing. Um, I've got a list of films that I saw. That I mean, today if I if I were to show my kids or my wife, they they'd probably lock me away because <laughs> I would just go on and on about how awesome they are. But in fact, they're just terrible. So. Again, I think that's also too. I mean, we, we talk about when we saw these movies when we were growing up, right? We also, again, I'm not trying to offend anybody, right? But like, we went outside to go watch the movies. Then we went back outside after we saw the movies, or if we saw something on HBO, uh, we were able to go outside. We got out out of that little bubble of entertainment, right? To kind of like you mentioned, Solar Babies, so funny. Uh, you know, a friend of mine. We watched it and then because he had skates, he's running around our neighborhood or skating around our neighborhood and he's just rolling around summer babies and just having a blast with it. Right. Um, I, I think that little bit of, you know, take yourself out of your own house or your, you know, your basement or your living room or TV or wherever you're spending the majority of your time, whether it's on TV, social media, whatever, and go outside and kind of see the funny that that you just watched on TV when, and when poking fun or just, you know, taking a look at some of that self-reflection it, it's out there, folks. It, it really is. That is our old man yelling at clouds moment, folks. It's sponsored mm-hmm. by Ben gay. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have any? No, I, Hey, look, Brad and I have talked about this over and over again. Like we're, we even talk about going to the films in the eighties and nineties, completely different experience. It is today. And I, I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I do wish I, I like the fact that where we live and I know Brad has the same in his area. I, I can take my kids to the drive-in. They can experience the drive-in. Like if there's, if there's any silver lining in any of the COVID stuff, drive-ins came back a little bit Yeah. because for a while that was, you know, the safest way to go see a film with everything that's going on. So I, I think all these things transform and there's elements to it. This is fun because it is a cool little time capsule of what the 90s, you know, really was. But, um, yeah, I just I didn't really notice the social commentary back then. And maybe, you know, because we look at some of these things with a bit more of a critical eye, you know, it comes through. I I will say the only other thing that I'm I don't know if I'm disappointed about this. I wish they gave Pam Dauber a little bit more to do Yeah, because I do like her. But at the same time, I think Peter Himes was was right to put the camera always on John Ritter and make him the center of attention. Because even when he's doing these little things off to the side while something's going on, it's super funny. Yeah. And, Cause she starts off as kind of a wet blanket, yeah. but she does have a character arc at the end. And, and so does he. So it is nice, but um, yeah, she's very plays that nagging wife trope really hard at the beginning. Yeah. But which makes that first bit with you can't win brilliant. Right here, here's a guy you're getting grilled on. What did you tell your wife, dude? 
you, you you're not going to win this argument. You know what I mean? Just accept it. Yeah, but I lost. mean, I mean that, that was no, that was terrible. <laughs> Watching a ball game in the bar. Okay. Uh, any other final thoughts on Stay Tuned? Yeah, actually, this is a question directly for Brad. Um, Brad, when you were watching this, um, how appreciative were you during the scene when they were shooting the salt and pepper scene that on the TV you actually saw the volume go down to mute? Oh. <laughs> Did you think what you lost you? your hearing again? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it, it, it represented it for me, so I knew I wasn't. Uh, that high that I was going down. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a good callback. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just going to ask, you. I'm going to ask real quick, start with you, John. We, we had fun talking about this little comedy gen from the early nineties. Stay tuned. Is it a bomb or, you know, should people watch it or stay away from it? Um, I, I had my initial reaction after my first watch, but with Bishop, um, it, it's not a bomb. He actually liked it. Here is a 21-year-old, one of those Gen Zers who's never even heard of it until he sat down with me, um, and he really liked it. It's it's definitely funny. Um, it has its moments, and you got to pay attention. You know, you got to listen to what they're saying, especially during the commercials and the all the different riffs on the different TV shows and stuff that's going on. And you know, understand that it is a little bit of uh self-reflection of society in a little bit but if you're laughing along with it you're going to do all right with this this is a movie i would say um i can't believe again i forgot about this um, but i'm glad i bought it and um if anyone wants to borrow it let me know it, it's one of those you, what's your address i John? recommend it so people can write you for it <laughs> it is the same address as brad's it is <laughs> Seven sixteen hundred Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. Oh. Yep, that's me. <laughs> yep, that's Brad. All right, Brad, your pick. Nineteen ninety two. Stay tuned. So, where'd you land on this one? Obviously, not a bomb. Okay, it holds up like a just, just like a gym. Love it. Okay, I, I agree with you both. I really think people need to go out and seek this and rewatch it. I was surprised how much fun I had. Um, to to John's point, I'm kind of looking forward to watching it again. Nobody watched it with me. But it was funny when I when I got done with it, and uh, Tabitha's like, well, "Who was what was the music playing there at the end?" I'm like, "That was Salt and Pepper." That's like her favorite. Oh yeah, then your wife's yeah. all in. Yeah, she's like, "What? Dude, they're in that film? What is this movie?" Because I don't. Nobody knows about it in my household, so yep. I'm I'm kind of excited to introduce them. Um, this to me is we do backyard movies um, with the screen and projector near the fire pit. This is one I'd love to you know put on there. I think I think. It would it would be a fun crowd watch. What so. do you think about a last action hero stay tuned double feature? That see, that would work for me big time. Mm -hmm. When when you're talking about movies that go into that meta experience and are trying to, you know, comment on you know that industry, I, I think I think that's a fantastic double feature. Yep. This is why we should program festivals, Brad. I got it, man. It's brilliant. Brad's on fire. Well, all right, Troy. Yes. Uh, the the biggest thing is we've taken we've taken our conversation, we've taken all the data that we put together, and uh, we're we're gonna put it in our Robo Reviewer one thousand. Now, when I was putting in the data, Robo Reviewer did tell me that he just recently graduated from film school, so that might influence his review. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, fire this thing up real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, Fuck you. <laughs> Duck Duck got in the studio. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, there, there it is. 
Sorry, the duck's gone. We're good. All right, you ready for Robo Reviewer? We are. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Beep Bob. This Robo Review 1000. Reporting in for Not a Bomb podcast, and here is my review of Stay Tuned. Stay Tuned, the 1992 comedic masterpiece directed by Peter Hyams, is a brilliant postmodern critique of the television medium and its addictive qualities. With its avant-garde narrative structure, stunning visuals, and outstanding performances by John Ritter and Pam Dauber, Stay Tuned is a cinematic tour de force that seamlessly blends humor and social commentary. The film's plot follows the lives of John and Helen, a typical American couple who find themselves trapped in a surreal world of television after purchasing a state-of-the-art satellite dish. Hyams masterfully creates a dystopian universe, where the lines between reality and fiction are blurred, and the characters are forced to confront their own obsessions with the small screen. Ritter and Dauber's performances are nothing short of remarkable, with their impeccable timing and chemistry elevating the film to new heights. Their on-screen dynamic perfectly captures the anxieties and pleasures of modern-day relationships and the ways in which television can both reinforce and undermine them. Stay Tuned is a cinematic triumph that remains as relevant today as it was upon its release. Hyam's sharp satire of consumer culture, the entertainment industry, and the human condition is a poignant reminder that the real world is often stranger than fiction. With its razor-sharp wit, dazzling visuals, and insightful social commentary, Stay Tuned is an unforgettable cinematic experience that will leave audiences laughing and thinking long after the credits roll. Wow. Hey, can we turn off that pretentious setting in the AI? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Maybe I'll dial, dial it back a little bit. When you use an avant-garde uh, for, to describe... I was not extending avant-garde. I mean, what AI puts wow. out... I, see, this is this is why I still think we're going to have a job. AI, uh, it, it's it's years from being perfected, in yeah, my we're, opinion. Yeah, you know, we're, still, we're still... It's just the 1000 model too, Troy. So we're, we're still working it out a little bit. So avant-garde. Wow. Okay. Avant-garde. How about some listener feedback, Brad? Love it. Okay. Got a couple here. I'm going to start with one from Patrick. He says, I just wanted to say thanks for all the work you do on the podcast. I just started listening recently. I don't think the Buzzfeed article led me there, but I could be wrong. And I've really enjoyed your work and the breakdowns of the movies. I especially liked your breakdown of drop dead Fred. As I remember watching that movie as a kid and missing almost everything that you talked about. Just wanted to say thanks again for the work and thanks for looking at movies in a different, more positive way. If someone can find positive things to say about King Kong lives, then you can find positive things to say about anything. True, true. Surely, um, I've been described as many a thing. Positive is not one of those. <laughs> we got time, Brad. We're working on yeah, it. We, we're working on it. Uh, one movie to recommend for you, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox movie, would be a great oh, one for yes. you to re-explore. Oh, man. We need to do that. Yep. It isn't that old, but it didn't do anything near where they thought it would do in box office and has some instantly quotable funny takes. The Tim Meadows character always telling Dewey not to do drugs, but then telling him about all the positives of those drugs is hilarious. And the cameos are great. Thanks again for your work. And I look forward to continuing to listen. Awesome. Welcome Thanks, aboard, Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. Let's add Dewey cock to the list. Cause I definitely want to go back and revisit that one. Oh uh, yes. I love yes. that film. Uh, this one's from Alex. I love this. Have you guys considered doing movies that didn't bomb, but maybe should have? 
Another way to put it would be movies that aren't as good as they're made out to be. The one that comes to mind is for me, and this will sound like sacrilege, is The Avengers. I rewatched it recently and it really wasn't as good as I remembered it being. I found myself wondering why it was such a hit and I still can't really make sense of it. I'm pretty forgiving of comic book movies, but this one just doesn't click anymore. Uh, that That's an interesting question, Alex. We've thought about that because we've been talking about you, you, you see Mario making a billion dollars and you're looking at the list and you see some of these, you're like, Alice in Wonderland made a yeah. billion dollars? That movie sucks ass. Um, so we've thought about <laughs> it before. Um, maybe we'll do that for like a month. We'll we'll kind of reverse it and say <clears throat> these films should have bombs because they're just terrible. That's a good idea. I, I think we should pick a month and do an inverse. Inverse, yep. Yeah, because I, I do think there are a lot of films out there and, and maybe... Maybe they just didn't age well now when you look you look at them like five, ten years later. Or they're still really popular, but we may have a different take on it and go, uh, why 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 didn't you guys go watch this thing? You you spent yeah. all your money here. You should have been over here. Uh John, do you have any that come to mind? I agree. To me, a lot Rumble of the Disney the stuff um <laughs> comes out like the Alice in Wonderland, like anything in Johnny Depp's in, I don't get why it makes money, but anything post like 98 for me with Johnny Depp. Yeah, exactly. I like the early Johnny, but there's a point in time where it's like, why, why does he get into films and everybody loves it? But I digress. John, you have any that come to mind? Anything with Jackie Chan. Shut your <laughs> mouth. Shut it. That is sacrilege. Shut your whore mouth, John. Damn it, John. <clears throat> well, can I offer nice another things. bit of uh, listener feedback? Yeah. Um, I was actually is this about getting, the Navy and the Air no, Force. Okay. No, 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 no. This is actually very positive. Um, got a haircut uh, this past weekend, and the hairstylist um, that I normally visit, um, she you know she told about asked about podcasts or talked to how she liked listening to them. Um, this is like last year, um, so I write, you know I told her about not a bomb, and I hadn't seen her in a while. But as soon as I came in, she sat down. She's like, "Listen, I just listened to the last couple episodes." This is so awesome. You guys are doing awesome. So, you know, she had just nothing but positive reviews. She loves the podcast. And, you know, I don't want to say her name because I didn't ask her for permission. Did she leave us a review on iTunes? <laughs> I had Brad, not asked. We don't need but, it. We're um, fine. <laughs> she is a faithful listener. So, Good. yeah, out of the blue. Awesome That's amazing. Stuff. I am surprised uh, that I, I don't promote the podcast on my personal social stuff. And I don't talk about it at work at all. Um, and one of my favorite early stories was somebody talking to me because they know I like films and <laughs> recommended the podcast to me. And I'm like, oh, really? That's not a bomb, huh? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> they just didn't put two and two together. Um, but yeah, I I love that kind of feedback. I mean, Brad and I have, have always said from the start, I, I do this because at some point I would love my kids to go back and when I'm not here to watch the films with me and kind of go through that. So it's, it's more of a, mm -hmm. I don't know, like a diary thing, I guess. Uh, I mean, you'll be dead before me. So I'll, this will be a way for me to remember you too. You'll, Troy. you'll replace me. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, especially all the dumb crap I do. I, I my life expectancy is very good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, and Brad and I, we, we get a lot of people wanting us to advertise and do stuff and, either we're lazy and just don't want to do it or I don't know. I, our take has always been, this is a hobby and the minute it, it becomes anything than that. We, we probably wouldn't have as much fun with it. Yeah. Right. 
yeah. that's what that's what makes this uh, amazing. And um, I, I say it all the time, but I, I am truly appreciative that you guys, you know, asked me to come and discuss some of these films to you know relive uh, all those those memories, those feelings. Um, because like you like you guys said, you know, films hopefully last for a long, long time. And when we're long and gone, hopefully somebody picks up a copy of whatever we watch, whatever we discuss, and just realize, you know what, those guys were geniuses. Yeah, especially, like, well, yeah, especially we had to make it up Brad. We had to make it up to you because you know, I felt bad about solar babies. I uh, not really, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> we love having you. I mean, I mean that's the other reason why we do this is because I mean, think about all the people we met, uh, even outside of our friend circle that we're now great friends with. Yeah. And uh, I got I got to be honest. I mean, so Brad and I have both done some stints on other podcasts. Now, I was asked to jump over to the Backlook Cinema recently and uh, do an episode on Rumble in the Bronx with Jackie Chan, which was an amazing time. Zoe and I had a blast. And uh, Brad, you recently just did one. Yes, I was uh, on the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We did. Shit, what did we do? What was the episode? Steven Seagal. Oh. You did Steven Seagal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark for Death. Sorry. We did <laughs> Steven Seagal's Mark for Death. Uh, yeah, Mark and that was death. super fun. Uh, Jose and I did it with uh, Sammy and had a blast. Made fun of Troy for most of the time. So it was, uh, yeah, it's well worth it, man. I'm sorry. I wish I could have been there, but I. You, you were missed, but, you know, we, we made we made fun of you. So don't worry. Okay. that That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we will talk about a Steven Seagal film. I, I have one in mind. I want to do. I want to talk about the only one he directed. I I think that would be fantastic. Is that out for justice? Is he? Is that no, his? I I want it. Oh, on deadly ground. On, on deadly, deadly ground. ground. Yeah. Yeah. With Michael Caine, we we've got yeah. to discuss that one because I yeah. I want to spend a lot of time talking about Bullshito. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I. It uh, deserves to. Yeah, that's that. I cannot wait to listen to that episode. I love listening to you guys, but that one particularly is going to be a it's going to be a blast. Uh, Brad, what else should people listen to, by the way, since we're talking about podcasts? Uh, yeah, like we said, um, gentlemen's guide to midnight cinema, watch, skip plus the VHS files, night of the living podcast, which was on our last breaking Brad episode, which was BC butcher. Check them out. I believe they just celebrated 17, 17 years in podcasting. That oh, is man. insane. Congratulations to those guys. They're and awesome. the Backlook Cinema podcast, and last but not least, the Mixtape podcast. Yes, all of them great podcasts. If there's a, and you know, I, we put this out there too about promoting, um, not a bomb. If you can tell people to listen, like John did, which is a fantastic story. Somebody listened, came back, and said they liked it. If if you have a podcast you think we should re out, uh, reach out to, that we should have on this show let us know. We're all about kind of expanding even our, our little circle mm -hmm. and uh, getting other people to play along. I, I love talking to another podcast on an, on another show and just saying, Hey, we do, you know, we talk about movies at bomb. Do you guys want to program an episode that we haven't done and, and just uh, kind of get to know them? I mean, it's, it's a social opportunity for us, right? Yep. And speaking of which, yes, someone picking a, a film and doing it for our show, Night of the Living Podcast, uh, Freddie and Amy will be joining us next week yeah. for a little film that was released in 1988. Um, it is called Dead Heat. And in the Philippines, it's known as Iron Cops. Iron Cops. <laughs> Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. 
I Joe cannot. Piscopo. I hope you. Joey P is on his sidekicks cocaine uh, during Dead Heat because he was on one. Please tell me you picked up the 4K release of this, Brad. Don't offend me, Troy. Okay, just making sure. Just making okay. sure. This is one of my favorites. I'm so mad because I used to have this original movie poster of this film. And in one of the many uh, moves that we did from Indiana to Maryland, whatever, uh, it got lost in the shuffle. And it, it's one of those that I need to go back and rebuy somehow, probably buy the one that I used to have from somebody. Um, but I, full disclosure, it's not a bomb. I love this film. So there you go. There's the episode. <laughs> yeah. So no need to listen. Next no week, need apparently. to listen next week because it's amazing. And you should go buy that uh, special 4K edition. It's so, so badass. It's so cool. So good. Uh, Brad, how do people get a hold of us to give us some amazing feedback like Alex and Patrick uh, and all the people who have written into us? We, we love reading this stuff, especially if you give us some really cool questions to ask. How do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that is notabombpod at gmail.com. Or you can go to notabombpodcast.com and hit the contact us button or reach out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search not a bomb on those. Awesome. John, I cannot wait to have you back on. I know it's going to be in a few weeks because we got some awesome movies that we're going to get you on. Awesome. You tell the family we love them and miss them. We just don't get to see them enough. I know you got one kid in college, another kid about ready to go back to college. You got a wife who, what did she throw out her back this week? What was she doing? Was she carrying around John's dead weight? Oh my God, man. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, You know, I, told her like i told my daughter you know suck it up buttercup rub some dirt oh, on it let's go no yeah. no <laughs> no yeah I, you know it's always a blast love you guys yeah it's just crazy times couple weeks i'll have all my kids home and man cannot wait it's gonna be a good summer it's gonna be a really yes. good summer yes it is okay anything else so that vincent's of dead heat has about 500 copies left so if you're thinking about getting that 4k get on it they only have 500 left wow uh-huh okay the link Please text me the link. Okay. I can do that right now. You, you don't have the Vincent's app. You can go to iTunes and download. The app is really good for a retail store. So anybody who is into cult films, download the Vinegar Syndrome app and you can shop directly from them. And oh. I got I to gotta tell you, if you sign up for it, uh, they, they've got so many things that they've been working on, especially if you're a Hong Kong or Asian um, film fan. The stuff they're releasing lately is just ridiculous, especially some of the third-party labels they've done. But uh, download that application. Like After you're done listening to this, go download that app if you haven't done so. Yeah. All right. What else? That is it, sir. All right, sir. I do not know if you are listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for stopping by and listening to our thoughts on Stay Tuned. Come back here next week for Iron Cops, which is a zombie cop film. And I'm telling you, it's just as awesome as it sounds. And we're going to have some awesome guests, and it's going to be just awesome. So if you haven't picked up on it, it's going to be an awesome episode. We'll see you then. Don't lose your head. 